Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Good morning. As you've been told, I am Chaplain Jeremiah Verdon. I'm going to steal this music stand real fast. So I was talking to uh, one of my brothers here today, right before the service, and he told me the podium which you decide to use says a lot about what kind of preacher you're going to be. You can pretty much tell who it is gonna, what you're going to do before you get started. If you have a big wooden podium, you're probably going to do a lot of history, a lot of facts, going to be super direct. If you use a music stand, actually what he said is you're probably a youth pastor. So you're probably going to use some youth pastory emotional feel. And if you use a clear podium, you're going to do something new agey, right? And which I, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. So what I want to do is I want to start today off with a story I used to tell my youth group. No, nothing. I get nothing from that. That's not funny to you at all. That's hilarious to me because I was like, that's silly. I, you can't compare me to a stand. I'm going to tell a story to the youth group. Yeah. So just so you know, I was a youth pastor. I am a Southern Baptist. I am a Holy Spirit-inspired guy, which means I'm probably going to at some point expect some version of a response. That's my problem. It's not yours. Okay? You're not responsible for responding. I'll do way better if you do. Okay? So there's a story I used to tell. Imagine yourself, you're on vacation. That's not hard to do. We live in Hawaii. You're on vacation, and you decide, well, I need to go out to eat. So where do you go? I'm from the South. We go to an all-you-can-eat buffet, right? So you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet. You get there. You're looking at it. It's breakfast time. It's Denny's-esque, but better. And you're like, wow, look, there's bacon, there's sausage, there's eggs, every kind of meat you could ever desire I mean, they've even got spam out there. Like, everything is out there. And then you got your eggs, and you got your pancakes, and then you got your waffles. You're like, man, this is fantastic. Look at all this good stuff. And then you get to the end, and there's just this pot. And it just, it looks horrible. It looks like someone should not have put that out there. And you have to ask. So you say, so what is this? What exactly is this? And they say, well, I mean, we have food, it's, it's full of nutrients, it's really good, we have a lot of it, but some people can't be bothered to chew. So we do it for them, and then we spit it into a bowl, and they just come, suck it up, and then they're good to go for the rest of the day. Pretty gross, right? That's how I felt preparing for this sermon. I felt as if I have six sermons I could preach. I, I changed them four to five times. I turned in two before I came up here, and now who knows which one's going to come out. Because I have been thoroughly fed by studying this passage, and what I find is that people who read their scripture, and they come into church having read their scripture, the pastor preaches, and they go, wow, that was a good pancake. Or, wow, that was a good piece of meat. Wow, that was really good eggs. I, I really appreciated each of those. But you had 
pancakes, eggs, sausage, and everything in the passage. So that's my encouragement to say, I'm about to preach, and my, my, my group for preaching was from Nehemiah chapter 11 to 13. My text is going to be Nehemiah chapter 12, starting in verse 27. It's going to go through verse 43. I'm going to skip some names so you don't have the ability to make fun of me. Just know that they're there. Okay? So here it is. And the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts around surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of Netophites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmepheth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves. And they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I, being near Nehemiah, brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall of Dung and Gate, Dung Gate, and after them went Hosea and a list of people. I should have just read it because now I've lost my place. And certain of the priests and sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, Jonathan, son of Shema, son of Matthew, son of Micah, son of Zuchar, son of Asaph, and his relatives went before them at the fountain gate. They went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David and ascended of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir, this thing has two choirs. One's going to the south. One's going to the north. They are circling the entire city. And what are they doing? Singing. Singing praise. Singing praise unto the Lord. And then you jump all the way down to the end. It says, And the singers sang at uh, verse 42b, And the singers sang with Jezreel and the leaders, and they offered great sacrifice that day. And, with re and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Who wishes they were there? Who wishes they could have been there? Who wishes they could have been at this worship service where they started, they, they finished the wall, and then they break off into two choirs, singing in unison, circling an entire city. They meet at the city of David, make their way towards where the temple is, and then they give God the glory all the way there. And it says their singing, their praise and worship could be heard from far away. Sounds amazing, right? But you have to look at this event and say, why is it so big? Why was this event so huge? And it's really hard to tell you that just from reading Nehemiah. You have to remember that Israel was God's chosen people. God set them apart to give a picture of Jesus Christ and to be his people in all of the world. 
and they chose, <coughs> sorry, they chose to worship other gods. God gave them a country. God gave them Jerusalem. God gave them Israel. God gave them everything. And then they got a little bit prosperous. And they said, you know what? I don't think I need you anymore. I would rather date this person. I would rather marry this person. And this person worships a log. So because I want this person to love me, I am also going to worship that log. So they decided to worship these idols. And God sends the prophets. And that's where you get into the books of the prophets. And they're amazing. And they have three whole messages. You can read <coughs> chapter after chapter after chapter. But there's three messages. And you should. There's three messages in the prophets. First message is, you're sinning? Repent. You're doing wrong? Repent. The second message is, you didn't repent, you're going to be destroyed. That was Jeremiah's task, the person I'm named after, right? You didn't, you didn't repent, you're going to be destroyed. The third message is God loves you, you will be restored. And that's where you get Jeremiah 29.11. I know the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper you, all that, right? That, 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 that Bible verse that we all like to use to apply to ourselves to say God loves me and he's going to make me rich. When in reality, it is God is looking at Israel and saying, yes, I've destroyed you. Yes, I'm going to destroy you. But because I love you, that is not an ultimate destruction. I'm going to rebuild you. And then that prophecy starts to be fulfilled when Babylon, who took Israel and destroyed Israel and destroyed Everything that it meant to be a Jewish person. Destroyed the temple. Destroyed the walls. And then they said, you know what? You can't stay here. I'm taking you to my place. Oh, and also you have to worship our gods. And destroyed everything it meant to be Israel. Well, they got taken over by Persia. And it's in this time when Jeremiah 29, 11, my plans to prosper you start to take place. It's being fulfilled. You see this prophecy being fulfilled for all the people that God has set aside for himself. And you see the book at Ezra and Nehemiah. And Ezra is there rebuilding the city. And we got 70 years of rebuilding a city. And those 70 years, ha, I'm not using wood and I did use history. 70 years of rebuilding a city. And then they've rebuilt the walls in Nehemiah 1 through 6. You see them rebuilding the walls. And then from chapter 7 on, you see them rebuilding the people of Israel. They, they return to trusting the word of God as core and central to how they act. They recognize their sins and then they repent. They dedicate themselves to following God. Not only do they dedicate it, they write it down and they Sign it. I'm going to follow the Lord, right? And then in chapter 11, you start to see them dedicating themselves to filling the city. One in every 10 Israelite was required to live in the city, which was hard because the city wasn't completely, you know, functional. 
yet. It was to rebuild the city. And then you get to this passage where they decide to dedicate the wall. And what does it mean to dedicate something? What does it mean for you to dedicate something? I looked it up in Webster's Dictionary. Not the most biblical place, but it actually suited. It actually fit the rest of my definition, so I'll just kind of kind of sit back and do this. To devote to worship of a divine being. To take that object and say the purpose of this is to worship a divine being. To set apart as sacred. To set apart to a definite use. And then the last one is to open up to the public, right? I think what they're doing here is they are setting the wall, the wall of Jerusalem apart to the worship of God. And what I want you to get out of this today, what I hope you go home with today, is that we are to dedicate the entirety of our life to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are no parts left alone. There are no parts that you should just be like, well, this one's mine and you can't have it. All of it should be dedicated to the Lord. And I wanted originally to just do a, hey, let's praise and worship sermon, but I couldn't get away from this concept of dedicating. And then you have to ask yourself, why in the world did Nehemiah dedicate the wall? And you say, you know, it makes sense. They just, you know, had to go red horse on these guys and lay some stones and fight the bad guys. And they had to do all this really hard stuff. But if you look at the history of Israel, after they do really hard stuff, there's a set group of things that they dedicate. And it's not the ordinary, usually. You'll dedicate the temple. Well, yeah. It's dedicated to the worship of, the, of God, right? The Holy of Holies. You'll worship, you'll, they'll dedicate the, the basins that hold the water. They worship the, the items. They, they dedicate the items that are used for worship. But what is a wall used for? Defense, right? It's a, it's a, it's a part of the defense of the city. So it wouldn't be normal to take an object that didn't have a worship entity within it and dedicate it to God. It would be, hey, we have a city. Now we can be in the city without having to worry about getting overrun. Let's go dedicate the worship areas to God. Right? But that's not what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah doesn't just dedicate the worship areas he decided that he was going to dedicate the wall. Let's think of it today. What do we naturally dedicate to God in our lives, in our everyday walk through life? What do we dedicate to God? You could say your Bible. You're getting ahead of me. Our Bible, right? We dedicate our Bible. Sunday morning. Sunday morning, part of being a good guy from my area meant Sunday morning we go to church. Well, if you don't want to go to church, 
You don't live in my house. You're going to church. We dedicate that, right? It is dedicated to the worship of the Lord. Maybe we dedicate... I don't know. I'm, I'm running out of things that we naturally dedicate to God. We dedicate our children, right? I've done a, a, a children's dedication up here, and we dedicate our family, and we, and we drop it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we dedicate our families, but I mean... What I've run into, how many people really dedicate their career to God? Some. Some do. But this is the conversation I run into a lot. I'm going to go through a list of these, and if you're like, I dedicate my career to God, don't. I'll get to you. Don't worry about it, okay? This one's not for you. This is for some of the other. I, I have people who I know are Christians and they come up to me and they're like, you know, when I was younger, I thought maybe I would be a chaplain. I could be a chaplain. I wish I could be a chaplain. And my response to them is, you are a Christian. You do believe in Jesus, right? Does your job as a commander, does your job as a platoon leader, does your job as a wrench turner, does it give glory to God? And I will say that usually they look at me and say, we're not at church, chaplain. <laughs> Save that for Sunday. They've just missed the whole point. If you say, I believe in Jesus, then that thing that you're holding on to, but I worked hard on my career. Guess what? So did they. They worked hard on that wall. Right? My career, if I were to have the number of company commanders, platoon leaders, and wrench turners who claim to be Christians out there living as if their place of work was dedicated to God, we would be do starting new services on a regular basis. Guaranteed. It's, 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 it's the way it works. Your family, we do do that, but what about your degree? Some of you have worked on going to college, you finished going to school, you've got that degree, are you de dedicating that to, to God? Your free time. Now, chaplain, the word free time means free. Leave it alone. Are you dedicating, is that time? Does your phone, I, I ran into this, this is the first, I did this when I first got, start, started buying expensive phones. I would get a phone and I'd be like, this, this phone is going to be dedicated to the work of the Lord. This one right here. And then, of course, you scroll Instagram for like seven hours. You're like, oh, I screwed that up a little bit. But, like, it, do you take time out and say, I got this phone. This is my mode of communication. This is what I do. I'm dedicating it to God, which means I'm not going to make it disgusting. And I'm also going to use it to glorify God. What in your life, you name the thing, what in your life have you held back from God from being fully dedicated to God? I, I, when I look at Nehemiah, and actually it was Nehemiah that went up to Ezra and said, hey, we need to dedicate this wall. Ezra probably should have been the one. That's kind of like the battalion commander or the garrison commander coming up to the chaplain and saying, hey, we should probably preach. We should probably pray, right? But Nehemiah goes to Ezra. I think what he's saying is God doesn't want to be the God of the temple. God wants to be the God of the entire city. 
the whole thing. God isn't looking to be the God of the temple. He's looking to be the God of the entire city. God isn't looking to be the God of your religion. God is looking to be the God of your entire life. I've run into a lot of people who are anti-religion. So am I. It just happens to be that a relationship with God draws me together with the people who love God. That seeing God draws me into worship. That knowing God makes me want to know Him more. This isn't step one, step two, step three of the religious Christianity. It is, I know Christ, therefore my reactions are going to lead me into worship with him. God doesn't want to be the God of your religion. He wants to be the God of your entire self. I should probably just also remind you that the Israelites fell because they stopped trusting God for their protection. And they just built a wall. It would be very easy for them to start trusting the wall for protection. I grew up poor. Off and on. Off and on. I mean, like, we raised tomatoes so that we could have tomato sandwiches for dinner. Right? You know what I'm talking about? My, my mom gave me cheese sandwiches because there was nothing else in the house. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. I'm an officer in the United States Army now. My kids eat cheese sandwiches because they want them. Please make me a grilled cheese sandwich. Okay. Right? We're working on not spoiling them too bad. It's very easy for me to say, you know what? I got a paycheck coming. What do I need God for? Right? How much of our life is supposed to be dedicated to God? What if all that new money that, oh, my, God, my goodness, you're in the military now. You can afford to pay your bills. We can have food. It's amazing. I don't have like seven grandmas buying clothes for my kids. I can buy clothes for my own kids. How easy for, is it for me to say, well, I don't need you anymore, God. My finances are no longer dedicated to you. They're dedicated to making me happy. How much of your life is supposed to be dedicated to God? What is And you, you do a personal little inventory in your brain. What is that thing you're holding back? What is that thing that you won't give away? I've stood, I, I really got into this point. I stood on it for a while. I'm going to go to the next one. The next point is this. God wants you to dedicate what God has given to you with thanksgiving. Verse 27, and, the de and they dedicated, in the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the, Le the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing. Then I brought the leaders out of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. So both choirs of those who gave 
thanks. And you say, of course they're giving thanks. They just finished a ridiculously difficult building program. They showed up, had to fight bad guys, and build a wall. Of course they're going to give God thanks. I want you to stop, pause, remove yourself from the Bible, insert yourself into humanity, and you tell me, is that the natural response? What is the natural response to finishing a ridiculously difficult exercise? Huh? Okay. I will get to that in a second. We're going to get to that in a second. Bragging. Taking credit, right? Who did this? Let's pass out the Bronze Stars, the AAMs, the Arcoms, and you just got a letter of, here's a coin, right? You showed up. We're glad that you were here. You get a Bronze Star. Everybody with a name gets their accolades, right? Tell me it's not what we do. You just finished something very difficult. Congratulations. You did it. You accomplished it. Be proud of yourself. Good job. Who, who built that wall? God. God built that wall. Yes, you had to hold a weapon. Yes, you laid the mortar. Yes, those rocks were big. But who moved the kings? Who put the calling into Nehemiah? Who drove the people all the way to Israel. Who gave the wisdom? Do you know, I, I challenge you to go through Nehemiah, and every single time it says, so Nehemiah prayed, just circle that, and then count it out. What was it, like 12 or 13 times? There's only like 13 chapters. Who built that wall? God did. And it's not the natural response to say, thank you, God. And, and the reason I know that is because when we finish very hard things, we don't naturally thank God. You start talking about what you did to accomplish it. There's another thing that we all often do is we start complaining. We accomplish the task. We complain about how hard it was. Y'all look at me like I'm crazy. Go to the field with anybody. Do something awesome. Get back from the field, hand out the AAMs, and check and see how long it takes for the conversation to go to, oh, thank goodness that was over. That was so hard. Gosh, the mosquitoes. I'm from Fort Drum. It was so cold. Immediately diving into complaining, having succeeded. Right? We got back from Afghanistan. I got back from Afghanistan. Immediately. We did a good job. In Afghanistan I am so proud of my guys we we went from huge amount of helicopters to a little amount of helicopters in the middle of COVID in the middle of getting things that happen in Afghanistan and all of them showed up and did their job they did a great job you know what we talked about when we got back how horrible it was Oh man, I just wish I hope I never do that again. I don't think that as a people, and I'm just going to pick on Western American type people right now for a second, we we're not thankful enough. We don't have enough gratitude naturally installed in our life. I'm going to quote Chaplain Lawhorn. We've never had it better. 
in the history of the world and hated it more. We have air conditioning. That's a thing that exists. We have FaceTime. You're on post, you're probably not going hungry. The world is easier to live in now than it has been in the rest of history. You ever just think about, you know, oh man, the ancient Romans, they're awesome. They didn't have air conditioning. They, they didn't. They took baths by scraping stuff off of themselves. They didn't even have boots. Some of you are like, thank God, I love flip-flops. They didn't even have boots. The world has never been more tailored to making you happy, and we have never been more upset about it. Just angry about it. So here's what I want to do. I want, I want to play a little game. This is the youth pastor Southern Baptist in me, which means you have to participate, or I'm just going to stand here and look stupid. Please don't do that to me. I want to do a little popcorn around the room. What I mean by that is, as you think of it, just yet sh shout it out. And what I want you to shout out is something that you have in your life that God has given you, which is everything that makes you happy that you could be thankful for. Just shout it out. Your children, yes. Someone else. Your wife, good job. She's going to love you when you get home. Someone else. Video game, sure, why not? What? Your existence, good. Someone else. Your car, yeah. Yes. Stable pay. Someone else. What are you thankful for? Yeah. Your mom, good. You might get a snack when you get home. Vitamins. Vitamins, good. You're happy about those. What else? Healthy bodies. I'm going to throw air conditioning back out there again. I'm thankful for that. What else? Huh? A good night's sleep. Ice. Books. The Bible. The Word. A group of believers. Now what I want you to do is I want you to hold on and just say, oh, I'm feeling good. I want you to stop back. I want you to look at your conversations for the last two weeks. And how many of those conversations were devoted to talking about how grateful you are for what you've been given? Some of you are very thankful people. I would say the majority of us are not. The majority, of, if you looked at your conversations for the past two weeks, when you get home from work, instead of saying it, it was a blessed day, you say those stupid people, <laughs> right? Instead of saying. Instead of saying, I love my job, or instead of saying, I love you, or instead of saying, oh, thank God for air conditioning, you say, oh, it's so hot outside. Right? How much time do we spend really being grateful? And here's what I want to tell you. This is, this is the interesting thing about Thanksgiving, about the interesting thing about being grateful. If we think about it, if you do think about it, which is my prompt for you to think about it, if we think about it, gratitude, when it is focused on Christ is just a realization of what is true. The natural reaction to realizing what is true about Jesus Christ must be gratitude. I mean, but what really do we have to be thankful for? There's this uh, term called universal or common grace. Which means if you are in this room and you do not believe that Jesus Christ was God and he died on your, on the, for your sins on the cross and you do not believe that there is a creator God, guess what? You are 
also blessed by the existence of God because he created the blue skies. He created the oxygen you breathe. He created the love that you experience when you see other people. He created the, t the fact that food can taste good. He didn't have to do that. He's the one that created sunsets. He's the one that created flowers. He's the one that created everything that you experience, which means even if you say, I don't believe in God, it is because of him that you have ever had a good time. Amen. And then there's a specific grace, the saving grace. What is saving grace? It is the fact that Jesus, after we destroyed the world with sin, made a promise said, don't worry. I know the plans I have for you. I'm going to fix it. And then he created Israel. And he said, from Israel, from Abraham, I'm going to send someone who's going to fix it. And then from the Virgin Mary was born the Son of God who lived on earth a life full of suffering that he didn't owe so that he could die a death that you deserve in order to fix it. And then he said, all you have to do is believe that I am the Son of God, that I died for your sin and raised, and confess me as Lord and Savior. That's not hard. No one has to stand on their head. No one has to do seven rituals. They have to believe and confess. He says, at that point, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will start a work in you to make you more and more like Jesus for the rest of your life. Who's going to do it? God's going to do it. I'm going to make you more and more like me and you are going to be more and more perfect simply because you said, I believe. And at the end of all this, you are going to come to be with me in paradise where I, there will be no more tears, there will be no more sorrow, and you will live in a new perfect body as heirs of the creator of the world. I mean, really, what do we have to be happy about? We have more to be thankful for than anyone else, yet here's what I think happens. You, you, you know the story of King David showed up bringing the, um, the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem and he is just throwing a party. And he's dancing and his, his wife who didn't like him, the one that didn't like him, says, oh, you've made yourself very undignified. And he says, I will be even more undignified than this. Because he was so grateful to God that he could not stand that his own dignity would hold him back from praising and worshiping with thanksgiving the one and only God. I'm actually moved on to the next point. Dedicate God with joyous praise. If thanksgiving, if, if, if gratitude is just realizing the truth about God, praise is the outflowing of that realization. You never see anybody come face to face with God without being changed. Ever. David said, I will be even more undignified than this. I feel like we said, we're going to church, time to put on my dignity. 
So that when they're out there singing and praising, I can't let people see I'm happy. If they think I'm happy, they'll think I'm undignified. If I'm undignified, then I will look bad. Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. They're throwing palm branches at him. They're worshiping. The disciples say, hey, it's too much. Jesus says, if they stop, the rocks will sing out in my name. I feel like we say, I'll wait on the rocks. <laughs> you know what? When the rocks start praising, I'll start praying. It's okay. Let the rocks do what they're doing. If they show me what to do, then I'll do it. Here's my quote of the day. You ready to take it home? Christians don't throw enough parties. Look at this event. Look at this event that happens. Does it look like they want, you know, you look at Monty Python on the Holy Grail. You ever watch that movie and you see the people worshiping God? They're walking through whacking themselves in the head because they're too happy. That's not what was happening on the temple wall, on, on the, the walls of Israel. They had musicians. They had dancers. They were throwing an all-out parade party. I don't know how many of you have ever been to New Orleans, but they got nothing on what happened on that wall. They threw a huge party, and they threw that party circling the entire city that there was no person in all of Israel that would ever be excluded from that party that they were throwing. And they finished it with sacrifice and glory to God. They threw a party. And we say, I don't know about partying, chaplain. Partying is bad. Why? Because you feel like it's bad for you to enjoy something that you didn't pay for? Guess what? That's Christianity. We enjoy what God gave us when we didn't pay for it. Yet when Christians get together, they say, let me sit down and talk to you about the whatever thing I've been thinking of. Would you like some coffee? No. I want when they are singing up here and they say, and the stone was rolled away, I do it. I dignify myself so that I don't make a scene in church. Me, I do this. I know I do it. Because when they say the stone was rolled away, every part of my being wants to just... Ah! Why? Because I deserve hell. Look at me. I am an evil human being. I know me. I do not deserve to be in the presence of God or His Holy Spirit. But because the stone was rolled away... I get to be in the presence of God. And when we say the stone was rolled away, I look around. I, on an Easter service, I was sitting in the back because I was a youth pastor. And I was watching people. And they were talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And people were on Facebook. And people say, I don't want to be a Christian. Those people are upset all the time. We have more to be happy about than any human being has a right to be happy about. When we come to worship, the music was too loud. They were heard from far away. Is anybody coming with me on this? They were heard from far away. 
That sounds like a rock concert. And I remember I came out of a very, very conservative, and this is why probably why I'm so amped up right now. This is you're gonna have to get used to this. This is me. The reason I'm so amped up about this right now, I remember the day my life changed in worship because I went with an ex-girlfriend. Thank God I got a good wife. But I went with an ex-girlfriend to her church, and I left this church that saw worship as stodgy and just not fun at all. And I went to be with her because I thought she was cool. And at the worship service, they had a band, and they had drums, and they were singing, and they, they, they did the preaching first so that worship didn't have to stop. And they just threw it down. And I remember sitting there like, God, is this okay? And I kid you not, my whole body broke out into the shivers like I've never had in my entire life. I could have almost audibly heard God go, yes, this is what I'm looking for. Worship should be a happy time. God's not looking for you to show up, look at the ground and kick rocks. He's looking for you to show up, throw your hands up, and praise and worship and glorify God. Christians do not throw enough parties. We just don't. And I know because there's someone in here when I say party, they go, Ooh, I don't know, that's a bad word. It's not. If you look at worship anywhere in the Bible, anywhere in the Bible, they were throwing a party to the glory of God. And the last point is how I'm going to close. I successfully preached three sermons. Sorry about that. And the sons and the singers gathered together. And I want you to just think about this. They dedicated what God gave to them on purpose. This did not happen on accident. They didn't do this worship on accident. Anybody ever planned any type of ceremony ever? We're planning, we're planning a, uh, a reintegration of people who've been gone for nine months right now. Do you know how many IPRs we're going to do? You know how many meetings we're going to do to make sure we get them here and let them know we love them and that they're ha we're happy that they're here? Weekly, for months. They didn't just throw two choirs up on a mount, uh, up on a wall and say, go have at it. No, they did this on purpose. And it's not going to happen on accident in your life. You're not going to dedicate every part of your life on, on accident. It's not going to happen on accident. You're not going to show up praise and worship, thankful and grateful on accident. It's not going to happen on accident. It's going to be on purpose. You're going to show up and you're going to say, this is the day the Lord has made. Do you think that that was the best day David ever had when he wrote that psalm? This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Do you think that was the best day that he ever had? Or was he sitting on some like mountaintop looking at dead bodies? They do it on, you got to do it on purpose. It has to happen on purpose. So my challenge to you is this. How are you going to walk out of here? What in your life have you not dedicated to God? And what's your plan to fix it? What's your plan to put that thing back in God's hands? And when you see who God is, what is your plan to increase that gratitude so that that worship can be an outflow? It's not going to happen on accident. We are naturally very, very bitter people. 
It's going to have to happen on purpose. Let me pray for you. Lord, I love you. God, I love you. And I love you because you loved me first. Not because I'm so good that I get to love you, but that you are so good that you drew me. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray that your word was done today. I pray that whatever it is that you are working in this place would not finish when people leave. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.